when the replay official did not stop I, the game. I'm not going to comment on that. I'll get fined for the rest of my life if I get commented on that. We had a great belief in our locker room. We didn't have to do anything special, just be us. I was so proud of this team. We had so much fun, it ought to be illegal. Coach Carousel talk, is that something you just ignore? Yeah, yeah, you, you ignore because one week you're getting fired and the next week you're going to take another job and I'm worried about the darn SEC West Championship. And so, yes, to answer your question. Our purpose is to win, make no mistake about it, but it's to win the right way. And our goal, our stated goal, is going to be to win the Sun Belt, uh, sorry, to win the SEC East. That's iron sharpening iron. That's the way this thing's got to work, man. We got to know and understand that it's got to be about competition. Talk about the reception you received from the fan, fan base. Did you ever think you'd be kissing and hugging babies at the tarmac when you got the point? Um, a lot better than another tarmac experience that I had. <laughs> I didn't think of it. It was like, like an anniversary or something like that. We're coming. We're coming, and we ain't backing down. Welcome in to the latest episode of That SEC Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Bratton. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter, and I'm joined as always by my cousin Shane, who goes by Big Orange Vols on Twitter. What are you up to, you big Tennessee homer? <laughs> hey, buddy. How about them balls? <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. I, d- I don't know yet. This could be a sad beer. We ain't watched the game yet. Yeah, so we're recording before the Tennessee game. Then we're going to do our little post game afterwards. So uh, Shane is either going to be happy drunk or angry drunk by the time you get this podcast. It's it's a remains a mystery to both of us, so we'll see how that one goes. But uh, before we get to that one, Shane, the big day here for the Gator Bowl, we got to recap the Sugar Bowl. Mm-hmm. As promised, you know, that game was so damn late that uh, we didn't get a chance to record since we watched it. So we're going to do that here. And, of course, Georgia came away with an impressive 26-14 to win. And this was a nice overall win, Shane. A lot of people picking Baylor to win this game. I know they were the uh, – Georgia was the favorite. And you look at on paper, you know, Georgia should smash this team. But with so many players out, I think it really says a lot for Kirby Smart and his program that they came out and dominated the way it did. I mean, this thing was 19 to zero at halftime. Mm-hmm. George Pickens, if you're a Georgia fan, you got to be fired up about, you know, arguably one of the best receivers in the SEC, only being a sophomore on your side next season. Uh, and then I, you know, I was kind of impressed by Baylor. I thought they were a tough physical team here, and they really kind of came out. I thought they made some great halftime adjustments. They came right out, scored a touchdown, kind of, uh, they scored 14 in the third. But then Kirby and them, they stole the momentum back with that big fake field goal that led to another score there by Georgia. And after that, I mean, that was that was all she wrote. I know the score was 26-14, but aside from that third quarter, I mean, Georgia just completely dominated this one. Yeah, man. Kind of, But I was a little scared there at second half. I was like, uh-oh, going to let these boys get back into it. But mm-hmm. I was surprised, man. I mean, this is the one I was most worried about going into the bowl game. And it's just for everybody sitting out, and it just felt like they weren't going to get up for this thing. And uh, I was honestly really surprised with the performance that we saw, uh, mainly Pickens and uh, Zeus, dude. And mm-hmm. I, I'm telling you, I, I – I've seen some great running this year, but there were some times, man. It, it just seems like we should have we should have seen a little bit more of Zamir White because he is just a big physical pounding back, and I just behind this offensive line, I'm surprised we didn't get to use him more this year. Yeah, he really was. He showcased himself as kind of that battering ram that they've kind of been missing, you know. So you got to wonder where he's been most of the season. I know he's been in there, but. Maybe he just needed that feature role, needed those 18 carries. Swift only got the well, one carry. He did come in. I thought it was a great play call there by Georgia staff on, uh, I believe it was the first time DeAndre Swift was in the game. They did the flea flicker. Mm-hmm. That uh, that paid off a big time there for Georgia. Uh, that was great. And then, of course, we had the reworked offensive line because both the tackles, Thomas and Wilson, both sitting out, both going to the pros. And we had Ben Cleveland academically ineligible. 
Matt Luke in his first game replacing Sam Pittman as the offensive line coach. And, dude, he was firing people up. I've seen mm-hmm. all over Twitter, Georgia fans, are, are they're just in love with Matt Luke already. Really good showing there for their new coach there. And I think his hire, I kind of mentioned this on Twitter, I think his hire suggests that Georgia's going to kind of open things up a little bit more on offense this offseason because not to say he can't run a offensive line in a pro-style set here, but – his history is more with the spread offense there at Ole Miss, so mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to Kirby Smart. I think he's got to take a page out of Ed Orgeron's book. Not saying they completely have to go to the five wide and everything because they've they've got some good backs, but you got to open it up a little bit more. And I think if Kirby learned that lesson, I think Georgia is going to be you know once again a national title contender. Absolutely, and if the country doesn't know George Pickens now. I mean, this 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 was just a glimpse of what Georgia can become in the future. And, dude, he is, I mean, night and day from the start of the season. I know he's a true freshman, but, man, he looked like a grown-ass man out there. Yeah, and they've got some other young, talented guys that maybe just weren't ready for the spotlight yet. But if they open it up, maybe they'll get that opportunity next season. So it's not going to be just a one-man show. That's been kind of the issue there with LSU for years, just saying they got all this talent, they're not utilizing it. Kind of starting to see some of that. That's kind of why I use that similarity to LSU. Georgia's kind of in a similar position. So I'm really looking forward to see if Georgia opens it up. I think they have to. You know, they can win the SEC like this, or the Mm -hmm. SEC East at least, and contend for the conference title. But just don't know if they can win the national title unless they open it up a little bit more. Yeah, for sure. Or at least have the ability to turn it on. Mm -hmm. It seems like they tried to do that with LSU, and they just weren't – you know, didn't have that chemistry quite. I mean, we had the drops. And, of course, Pickens was out the first half of that game. And right. um, there was a lot of factors. But, you know, you got to have that ability to turn it on because there's going to be times when you're down. There's going to be times that you need to speed it up and open it up and just keep the defense on their heels. And, um, you know, I love, I love old school offense, man. You know, I, I love big linemen. I love just – grinding it out and you know something that you've seen a little bit more with Kentucky you know just at the end of the game when the defense is gassed and you're you know those little two three yard runs become 15 20 yard runs and and that works but there's sometimes you need to open it up and that's what I hope Georgia does going forward mm-hmm. all right Shane well let's kick it over to the post game comments here from Kirby Smart talking about you know this was a really interesting comment I thought on the disease that's hurt UGA in the past on his decision to run that fake field goal. He said he kind of chickened out at one point, decided to run it the second field goal here. And then uh, some comments here from Jake Fromm on Pickens, and then Pickens kind of talking. You know, He credited Jake Fromm for a lot of his progression this season. Uh, Coach Mark, can you just talk about it? Lewis seen uh, DJ Daniel lead the team in tackles. George Pickens leads the team in receptions. Uh, Zamir leads in rush. I mean, a lot of young pups kind of uh, stepped up today. Can you just talk about that and, and sort of looking forward to having a lot of those guys back next year? Yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, the future is only bright if those guys continue to work because there's a disease in a, uh, that creeps in at Georgia where kids believe they're better than they are and they, they read their own press clippings. And uh, our team chaplain did a wonderful job today expressing that in a, a verse and I can't quote the verse Jake probably can but you know he, he basically said that um, when you start reading about yourself and believing in your own press clippings is when you start to fall and those kids that you just mentioned are tremendous players but they'll only be as good as they can be if they stay as hungry as they are and when you're not hungry you become average and uh, some of that I think has affected us in the past. And we've got to find a way in this program to, to not let that creep in and keep that same hunger you have as a young player because we've had it happen to several guys that were really hungry and then they become full. And you can't become full when you go play in the teams we play against. Jake and George, it uh, appears like you guys got a little bit of chemistry and that it was working pretty well, especially in the first half. Jake, can you talk about it first? And George, can, can you talk about that? And and having George back next year, would that be incentive for you to return? Yeah, uh, man, I love George. Uh, George is a great teammate, a uh, great football player. Uh, but what I love about George is he, he loves football. Uh, he loves going out, uh, competing. Uh, I can say 
Uh, for him showing up at practice, he's the same guy, same competitor every single day. Uh, and I know I love it. I know Coach loves yes. it. Um, but he, he's a competitor. He goes out and competes. And so, you know, seeing him do something like he did uh, today, uh, no surprise to us. And he's just going out, playing the game he loves. I also agree with Jake said, but it's really just him. He pushed me every day. Coach Mark pushed me every day to be the player I am today. So just me connecting with him at practice all the time is really just the best thing. Kirby, was that fake uh, field goal there earlier? And why, why call that then the second time, I guess? Well, I wanted to call it the first time, and I chickened out. And then I wanted to call it the second time, and then I chickened out. And so third time was a charm because we didn't want to do it on a long down and distance. We wanted to do it on a manageable. Well, you know, you got a fourth and two, and it's there. And then you got a fourth and three, and it's there. And you don't know how many of those situations you're going to have because it's not a play that's going to work on fourth and really long. But we had worked it hard. Coach Fountain and his staff had uh, put it together, and we thought it was there. And we've kicked so many field goals this year that you've got to have, you got to score touchdowns. And I thought that would give us the momentum if we got it. And I felt like they were going to score points. And we got to score touchdowns. We can't, you know, keep getting threes. And uh, Jake did a great job executing it. And Eli Wolf had one of the prime block. He and Charlie did an unbelievable job blocking on that play. All right, Shane, so Georgia fans fired up after this big Sugar Bowl win, and I did my best to fire him up, Shane. <laughs> I didn't. Even, that was not even my intention, but I don't know. Once again, these comments from Kirby, if you just want to take them at face value, I see what you're saying. Like, everyone's pissed off that I'm pointing out the fact that, uh, you know, Kirby's putting it on his players to do the work and not read their press clippings and everything. Mm-hmm. But I think that's just such an obvious statement. I mean, you could say that for any any team in any conference, particularly the SEC. You know, at face value, those are not comments that would raise my eyebrow. But, you know, what was it that he said after the SEC championship game? I mean, it's he really yeah. did kind of put it on his receivers and, oh, we lost some guys. These guys, you know, aren't ready. And then the previous SEC championship, what was it? It was – you know, the crazy fake punt that didn't work, and he's saying, well, it was there. It just wasn't executed. And uh, then you can go back to, hell, even the Hail Mary play, Tennessee, Dobbs, all those years ago when uh, Georgia got a penalty on after their touchdown, he put put it on that guy. I mean, I see what Kirby's saying, but it's his damn job. I mean, you could put it on these guys all you want. It's your job to get them – you know, focused and ready. And he's saying it here again. It's on these players to focus, get their mind right. There's a lot of truth to that. But after a big win like this, I just don't, I just don't like this comment from Kirby. What are your thoughts on all that? I'm kind of with you. Um, but you got to remember this, you, you catch these coaches right after the game. You know what I'm saying? There's just, mm-hmm. there's a lot of ether, a lot of excitement. And sometimes you say stuff that you probably wish you didn't. And, uh, I don't like to hear coaches put it on the players, but think of it like a fan, man. When you're watching this game, do you think, you know, I mean, how many times do you watch and just say, oh, man, Kirby's got to get these guys in check? Or do you say, come mm-hmm. on, Pickens, what the hell were you doing? You know <laughs> what I'm saying? It's like, right. I, I don't know. It's it's kind of a double-edged sword. You kind of want to – I mean, sometimes it is the, blame, the player's fault, but sometimes it's the coaching that got the players in a bad position. So I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of impartial to this thing. And uh, I'm just impressed with some of the youth that we did see, ex- mm-hmm. you know, that came up this game. Uh, that's that's what you want to see in these bowl games is, is a glimpse of the future, and the future looks looks great. Now, there's there's some things that Georgia's obviously going to have to work on, and probably Kirby needs to work on his his uh, ex- you know his post game speeches. But uh, this this is uh, I don't know. I just thought it was a good. Good look, a good glimpse into the future. Yeah, I mean, Georgia's so loaded, they could afford to not have 13 guys in this game mm-hmm. and, and beat the Big 12 runner-up handedly. So, yeah. I mean, the future is certainly bright. I'm not suggesting it's not. Uh, but one other thing here on Georgia, Shane, I wanted to pick your brain on this because if you caught it there, you know, Jake Fromm's asked about uh, Pickens and he complimented his freshman receiver. But at the same time, he was asked in that question, does his – presence on the team does that weigh on your decision at all he didn't even get into that and I you know I'm not making too much out of that but it mm-hmm. is interesting that he just didn't even you know he could have said anything you know I, I'm focused on this 
win or that's a decision to be made. I mean, he said nothing, just acted <laughs> like the question wasn't asked. And I got to ask you this, Shane, because all the speculation, now we don't know, but it certainly sounds like Tua is going to come back. Yeah. Any chance that changes Jake Fromm's decision? I don't know if it does, but hell, if you're looking at it like this, Shane, Tua coming back next season, Trevor Lawrence is going to be there. Yeah. I mean, Jake Fromm could have a hell of a season, and he's still, as long as two is healthy and Trevor Lawrence doesn't get hurt, I mean, he's not passing those guys up. So I wonder if you're you're sitting there and you're Jake Fromm and saying, you know, I don't know how much he's putting it on the coaching or the new coordinator, Coley, or anything. Although Coley, leading up to this game, did say, you know, he put the struggles on himself for Georgia's offense. But I wonder if you're sitting there and you're Jake Fromm and saying, I know I didn't have quite the year I wanted to have, but hell, if I go now, I may be a lock to be a top 10 pick. Whereas if I come back, not saying that he can't still be a top 10 pick, quarterbacks tend to go high, but if Trevor Lawrence is there, two is there, I mean, I I don't know how far or how high Fromm can realistically go with those guys right there. Well, let me ask you, man. Um, Let's just say, let's, I'm kind of with you on that situation. If I'm if I'm uh, looking at potential paycheck, I may be going if Tua comes back. Mm-hmm. But if Tua goes, I think another factor would be uh, would be play calling because I don't think they gave. It seems like toward the end of the season they gave Fromm more opportunities to showcase his arm. Mm-hmm. They sure the heck didn't do that at the start of this season. So I think that would be weighing on my mind too. Like, are, are we going to open up? You, here you're looking. You see uh, Joe down here just airing it out, having fun. You, you've seen it with Tua. Uh, you've seen it in these playoff games, man. They're just they're, – it's a vertical game. And Georgia wasn't doing that. And, you know, Jake's goal is to play in the NFL, and he's not going to be able to do that if he's turned around handing 75% of the time. So I think, too, uh, you know, Coley putting it on himself. Is Coley out? You know, are we going to change this offense? I think that should be in consideration as well because Mm -hmm. Jake's going to have more talent next year, better talent. And I think he could, you know, if the coaches put their salesman hat on and they want Jake back, they could say, hey, listen, we're going to make this offense about you, not the running game. The running game is going to always be there. It's always going to be a part of this offense. But we want to, if we're going to go to this next level, we're going to have to air it out. You've got your weapons. Let's, we're going to open this playbook up a little bit for you. And I think if uh, a little bit of recruiting, they can get Jake to come back easily. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. So, I mean, there's a lot of unanswered questions there. I think Fromm is going to have to weigh whether he thinks Coley and the offensive staff is going to get him any better because, I mean, they certainly didn't, didn't do it this year. And if, I mean, if the staff is intact, if the game plan is intact, I don't know. I think I'm leaving. Yeah, I'm, I'm going. I done told you. They, <laughs> if I miss Mr. Irrelevant, you know, I'm, 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 there's a good shot. I'm going, Mike. <laughs> well, speaking of not going, Shane, here, let's jump on down to Tuscaloosa, where we had some news here on Thursday where Alabama's outstanding left tackle, Alex Leatherwood, first team All-SEC, named by the coaches, he has announced he will return for his senior season. And that's, you know, interesting on a couple levels, Shane, because you got to figure this guy would be an NFL draft pick, certainly. Now, he could, I'm sure he's thinking he's going to come back and improve his stock, get, you know, go even higher, hopefully win himself an SEC and national championship. But I also think this helps Tua in his decision because now you got your blindside left tackle Mm -hmm. continuity there. This guy's been playing, you know, consistently since his basically his freshman season. So any chance this helps Tua make his decision here with the left tackle coming back? I think it's like dominoes, man. You know, we saw that video. Mm-hmm. It's it's if when more and more start doing it, then yeah, there's more likely a chance. And maybe that is, maybe, maybe he knows, you know, he, Tua may have not announced his decision, but who's to say he hasn't contacted a couple of his teammates and told them what, what what's up and what he's going to be doing. Um, because some of these guys are getting it, you know, they're, they're thinking about jumping to the draft and you start seeing all those dollar signs, man, it's kind of hard to, to look back. So this is interesting. I, I, I think too, it could blow up in your face, man. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I, I've seen, I've seen players 
you know, saying, you know what, I think I'm going to come back and we're going to, we're going to win this thing. And next thing you know, they're like, nah, you know, <laughs> I'm going to the draft, <laughs> you know, it's just, we've seen that before. And, and, um, I don't know with Bama, you're just on pins and needles, especially till the sixth. Well, speaking of that, Shane, kind of the indecisiveness there, we had also had an interesting nugget here on Thursday because Dylan Moses, after his big announcement that he will be returning for 2020, he has put out a statement that says that is not necessarily the case. So he Hmm. is going to push his decision back till January 20th. That's the deadline for making the decision for the 2020 NFL draft. And the reason being, Shane, this is interesting. I've never, we've never quite seen this before, but apparently Dylan Moses took out an insurance policy on, you know, potential injury. Yeah. And he did this last spring before he got hurt and he was evaluated as a first round pick. Yeah. So if you you know, get injured and you're, you can't be a first round pick, you get a lot more money. And now apparently, according to a statement he released, he was recently evaluated once again by the NFL, of course, after this injury that he suffered in training camp. And they're saying he's a second round pick now. So there's already a loss of value based on his insurance policy. And from my understanding, they're trying to make sure that if he returns, that the insurance is on first round value and not on second round value. And if it's, if it's second round value, if they say, well, hey, you, you're taking this chance, you've already gotten hurt. Mm-hmm. If you get hurt again, we're giving you second round money. I think he's going to the NFL now because he's got that insurance. And basically for anyone that, I know this is kind of complicated, but what this means is if he, get, if he goes to the NFL draft now and he is a second round pick, yeah the insurance will pay the difference of what he would have got if he was a first rounder, if that makes sense. So he will get the money that he was essentially, you know, projected as in the spring, whereas now he's a notch below. So they're kind of protecting themselves to make sure that he gets the money that uh, he was once evaluated at. Oh, okay. So that's why Saban's doing all these Aflex commercials, huh? <laughs> <laughs> And this statement is one of the weirdest damn things. This comes from his father, who's apparently an attorney. But he called him a trust protector of the royal crown. Uh, That was pretty odd. Uh, He called him uh, your majesty or something like that. Uh, The lords of London is who he says uh, is insuring him. Uh, But this is just a wacky, wacky kind of uh, statement here. Yeah, statement from the trust protector of the royal crown. So... So let me ask you, Your Highness, is <laughs> is this the same thing? Did Tua do the same thing? So, I mean, even if he slipped into the second round, I mean, is this something that all players are doing? I don't, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm aware that there are these insurance policies out there, but are they just for the upper echelon guys, typically first rounders? Is that... Yeah, that's interesting. I think, uh, I don't necessarily think it is. I think it's more and more guys are doing these because... Uh, I recall a number of years ago, you know, this wasn't that long ago. I want to say 2016, 2017, mm-hmm. Arkansas had a running back, Raleigh Williams, who injured his neck, and then he came back, and then he got that insurance policy, and then he hurt his neck again, and I think it was spring, and they came out, and the insurer wouldn't pay him because, yes, he injured his neck, but it was not, you know, a career-ending injury. They basically, I think they just told him, Hey man, if you get hit in the neck again like this, you could be paralyzed. So oh, he, wow. so so he walked away from the game. Thank thank God, you know he's not paralyzed or anything. Because he was not paralyzed, this insurance place didn't want to pay him. So, uh, and I don't think he was anything like a first round pick. I think he certainly would have been a draft pick. But yeah, I think a lot of guys at these SEC schools take out these insurance policies and. I would be stunned, I don't know for a fact, but I would be stunned if Tua did not have one of these coming into the season. No, that's interesting. I just, you know, there's there's some of that stuff that's behind the curtain you don't really know. You know, it's just, mm-hmm. I, this is a curious concept. And, and so if, and you may not know the answer to this, so if he were to jump into the draft and he goes in the second round, mm-hmm. so this what you're saying is the insurance is going to pay X amount of dollars difference uh, between the the rounds that he got selected in. 
Correct. If they, oh, okay. yeah, and that's that's kind of the hiccup because right now he's being evaluated as a second rounder. Oh, okay. And his family is saying, "Well, hell, we got a first round grade, and we got hurt." <laughs> Save it so mad. He's doing these commercials <laughs> for the duck, right? And they're the ones that are saying, "No, nah, he's a second round." And I bet Saban's on the phone like, "You better give him a first round, or he ain't coming back. I ain't gonna do any more damn commercials," you know. <laughs> Oh, man, what a tangled web we're in here, buddy. Mm -hmm. Well, speaking of tangled web, Shane, let's jump on down to the state of Mississippi where we got some interesting one. We got some coaching movement here for the Rebels. Lane Kiffin filing out his staff pretty well here. And we kind of hit on this on a previous podcast, but Michigan special teams coordinator Chris Partridge officially hired by Ole Miss. They've also stolen away Texas A&M tight end coach Joe John Finley, and he was previously at Missouri as well. And, uh, you know, Missouri's had Albert O and some other tight ends this last season at Texas A&M. They had Weidemeyer, the freshman, do really well. So I love that hire. Um, We've kind of already discussed this partridge and how kind of Kiffin's going with recruiting over X's and O's, in my opinion. And then the, kind of the biggest news here, Shane, Ole Miss has hired DJ Durkin, the former Maryland head coach where uh, the player Jordan McNair died during the conditioning and yeah. Maryland fired Durkin and he's been in the NFL since that time. So it's kind of an interesting one where you got, you know, national media calling out Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss and you got, you know, the rebel fan base and, and the media saying, they're just out to get us. So yeah. I, mean, I know this, this is just an interesting one. Uh, I honestly find the hire of, of the Chris Partridge guy from Michigan a little bit more interesting just because he's, from what I understand, going to be the defensive coordinator. So I really would have went with Mike McIntyre, but they're clearly leaning towards recruiting. DJ Durkin is, an, is known to be an outstanding recruiter, but you know all these SEC schools are going to be using that Maryland situation against them. For sure. So I don't know. What are your thoughts on all this? Yeah, I just I don't know. I I think it's still a little too fresh, and I know Ole Miss likes to wants to stay in the in the light, but that one right there, when you're when you're weighing your pros and cons, it's not like he's some guru, you know. It's not right. like he's going to come in and just transform this this team into a different ball club. But he's I mean he's a good coach, but I don't know the negative recruiting. I could just hear it now. Uh, why you want to send your boy? down to one of the hottest stadiums in the world, you know, where he's working them out. You know, I just I just think that there'd be more negativity coming from this than positivity. So the AD has already released a statement saying, you know, they've vetted this guy, they've, they've researched him and everything. So I don't know if you really want, like you said, I mean, like you said, he, they're not even getting a hot shot coordinator here. I don't know if you really want a damn AD having to release a statement because you made an assistant coaching hire. I would say, you know, the SEC, they, they also do kind of like a background on all these assistant hires. And Mm -hmm. if they signed off on it, uh, I think you got to give the rebels credit for, you know, making a move that this guy probably is, you know, it's really, really hard. It's almost insensitive to say, look past what happened in Maryland, but if you are able to do that, he has been a quality coach. He's been at, he was at Florida. He was their defensive coordinator. He was outstanding there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I don't know if I'd make this hire. I certainly, I don't think I would. But one thing, maybe this is just part of the Kiffin. You know, taking a ch- people. You know, Saban took a chance on Kiffin. Maybe he's just doing the same on a on DJ Durkin here. Yeah, maybe that's it, man. Paying it forward. Who knows? Lane may have got a phone call and said, "Hey, buddy." You owe me one, you know, I'm <laughs> just saying there's a lot, a lot of these little backdoor deals that happen. And, uh, one thing that I do like about the situation, especially with recruiting is these guys are coming like from totally different regions, you know? So maybe the, some of these guys were exposed to different athletes up North or, or out East and, uh, Lane be able to take advantage of it. Mm-hmm. Now staying in state, Shane, let's jump on down to Mississippi state where you know there's speculation not reporting anything but there's some wild speculation Shane and Joe Moorhead maybe out at Mississippi State after this uh, you know disastrous Music City Bowl performance against Louisville and hell I didn't even really want to bring this up that much cuz I just thought it was a bunch of you know sp- smoke here and there's no fire but anybody missed it I'm going to plug myself here I was on uh, Paul Feinbaum's show here on Thursday 
And even he asked me about it, and he said Mississippi State's even got a candidate lined up here ready to replace him, although he noted that he did not think that it was going to go down. He did not want to reveal that name. I think uh, if I had to guess, Shane, and this is from speaking to people down there, I think the the guy he's talking about is probably Billy Napier, the really? uh, Lafayette head coach, former Alabama, uh, I believe his receivers coach, I, be, I believe he's offensive coordinator at Arizona State. He's had a hell of a year down there at uh, Louisiana Lafayette. So I would imagine that's kind of the guy they're talking about. But I don't know, what are your thoughts on this, Shane, where, hell, if you're going to get rid of Joe Moorhead or you were going to keep him and now he just lost a game, you are you firing a guy because he lost a bowl game or maybe because of this fight? or I, I don't know. This is kind of out of left field for me. I don't know, man. But uh, just just had a little bit of an attitude lately too, you know, coming out in these uh in these uh conferences. I've I've, I've listened. I mean, you could just tell in his voice that he's, you know, he's getting a lot of pressure on him. And mm-hmm. uh, the I, I think they did well in recruiting. I thought the egg bowl. I mean, it, it's all been like slowly going downhill. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's like the egg bowl was the was the top of the mountain. And then the recruiting class was good, but it wasn't like, you know, you just had freaking Lane Kiffin, you know, two hours <laughs> away show up, you know. Mm-hmm. So that's what people are talking about in Mississippi. And then you go to your uh, – you get your quarterback, gets a black eye, and then you lose your bowl game. And it's just it's just slowly going downhill, and, and here you're going into your offseason. So there's just no – there's no excitement. Nobody's talking about how great Mississippi State's going to be next year. And, you know, that's something that they actually have had some buzz the last few seasons. So uh, it would not surprise me. Uh, if it were to happen, but I think it would be a dumb move. I, I think, you know, we still got to give Joe some time. He did have a decent recruiting class. He was able to keep a lot of kids inside Mississippi, uh, in Mississippi state. Mm-hmm. So, um, I, I think it's just, don't, don't make any emotional changes right now. Uh, especially not till after signing day, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I think, yeah, I don't know. This is going to be a, a strange one. And I think if you fire a head coach after signing day, I think you have to let all those kids out. Oh, God. I mean, you're, you're talking your recruiting class could be one that's top 25, keep in mind. Could be destroyed, you know? Absolutely. I'm not doing it. And I'm not doing it for Napier either. <laughs> who, who would you? Who would you? I mean, if you're going to take a chance, you know, people are taking chances all around you. You got Sam Pittman up there, mm-hmm. Barry Odom, that killer staff. You got. Uh, Coach Lane Kiffin making these questionable hires, but still exciting news down there in Old Miss. But I mean, who, who do you bring in? You, you'd want to bring in a little, a little something. You know what I'm saying? I think if you're a school like Mississippi State, you're going to have to bring in somebody that uh, is at you know a lower level that is doing really well. And you know Napier certainly one that's done that. But you know maybe you're talking like the Army coach or something, or the Navy coach, or you know something like that. And I just don't think that's going to – that's not going to excite the fan base. Just go to read option, triple read option. That would be <laughs> awesome. <laughs> be the Georgia Tech at the SEC. They're back, boys, <laughs> girls. <laughs> All right, Shane, we literally just got done watching Tennessee come back from behind in the Gator Bowl, win it 23-22 to over Indiana. And I got to admit, Shane, I was rooting hard that uh, Tennessee would pull it out. I just, I didn't even know if you'd bring yourself to get on this podcast <laughs> after the second or third quarter there where it looked like Tennessee was, I don't know, man, they went from a damn lifeless program to all of a sudden they just got a spark and they really dominated that fourth quarter. I, how stunned are you that Tennessee, after what we saw in the second or third quarter, managed to make that comeback? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> mm. I'm going to tell you, Mike, I'm going to tell you right now, I did not expect this going into the fourth quarter. <laughs> into the fourth quarter, you know, in the back of my mind, this is what kept ringing is uh, Pruitt saying, you know, Garantano's going to win us a few games. And I'm like, yeah, he's also going to lose us a few. You know, that's <laughs> what I kept thinking myself. You know what I'm saying? So I was, I was really, really frustrated with the quarterback situation. I was really just – I mean, it just felt like we were lifeless out there at times. And 
But man, I tell you what, dude, we we got that last drive and then the onside kick. I wasn't even expecting that, and that and those usually never work. That was just, I don't know, man. He was smiling on us today, buddy. He was. Yeah, and I mean, I swear that was the twentieth onside kick they've they've attempted under Jeremy Pruitt, and I'd say about all of them are were basically executed to perfection. The kicks I'm talking about, but they just never seem to recover them. And this one. Uh-huh. It all clicked for Tennessee. They, of course, they did that when they were trailing by six, and then even yeah. I, I mean, that's just the Tennessee way. Nothing's easy. They take the lead. Uh, Indiana gets the ball back with a field goal attempt to win the game, and it. I swear that was that kick was going in. I mean, it looked good. It looked long. <laughs> then it just squeaked by the upright there. Tennessee gets the ball back. What was it? About ninety something seconds left. Indiana only had uh-huh. one timeout. And somehow Indiana got the ball back with a minute left and had another chance to drive it. I mean, damn, Tennessee is just – I don't know how you haven't had uh, at least one heart attack just watching this damn team yet. <laughs> I'm telling you, if your New Year's resolution was to drink less alcohol, well, you are not a volunteer <laughs> fan. <laughs> buddy, I was I, – the ups and downs, my heart rate's up and down. I'm telling you, this was a – this was a wild game. Uh, you know, we, we know a few people went down there. My brother, our, your cousin, he mm-hmm. went down there and he says it was electric. It was a Tennessee environment. And I don't know, man, it was just, this is just fitting. This is Tennessee football right here, man. Just, you know, they piss you off even though they win. <laughs> you know, it's like they just know what to do. And, Oh, man, this was fantastic. I, I thought this kicker, you know, this is the thing that drove me nuts. This kicker, they tell us how bad he is, but he looks like damn, you know, uh, the, the one of the, you know, say he looks like Vanderjack out there or, you know, one of these Hall of Fame kickers from the NFL just nailing it. And when he had that opportunity to, to kick at one and it just went off to the right, I was just – I thought it was in there for a second, man. And then we we played that prevent defense at the end, and I was like, man, we're just we're just giving it to them, man. They were mm-hmm. 13, 20 yards down the field, and all of a sudden, they're like, you know, hey, that's not going to work, you know. <laughs> and then and then the back of my mind, I'm thinking BYU, we get burnt deep, you know what I'm saying? But right. man, credit this defense. There there was times in this game that frustrated you on the defense, but all I mean because of the quarterback. You know, scrambling. I think that was the biggest one. But other than that, this defense was fantastic. Yeah, and this uh, this had to be, you know, a frustrating game. That that's a perfect word you used there because at the beginning, first quarter, Tennessee dominated, unable to execute in the red zone. They went for it in the first possession. There got stopped on the goal line. Second possession, or the second time in the red zone, I should say. Once again, very close to the goal line inside the. 10 five yard line unable to punch it mm-hmm. in had to settle for a field goal but it just felt like Tennessee had they punched those ones in early and there were plays to be made Garantano was you know kind of the typical what we've seen from him this year just kind of hesitant a little bit behind or th- wait until defenders kind of get in position to make his throw and if he was a little bit more on point I mean Tennessee would have started this game 14 to zero and the mm-hmm. way the way the defense was playing this thing could have got real ugly real quick, but since they didn't punch those in, you just knew that Indiana was going to come storming back. That's what happened. All of a sudden, hell, this quarterback named after Peyton Manning, he did his <laughs> – not a Peyton Manning impersonation. He looked, was looking like Michael Vick out there, wasn't he? I mean, he was yeah. breaking everything with his damn legs. It looked like Tennessee was going to get haunted yet again by a dual-threat type quarterback. But then all of a sudden – um, I mean, Tennessee was pressuring him, but he was still escaping until that mm-hmm. fourth quarter, and it all turned around. And I saw a lot of people criticizing Jeremy Pruitt. You know, he can't coach when he's got time to prep and all this. But, hell, I mean, it's how you finish the game. And Tennessee, I know there were some mistakes like we noted there, but you got to feel good about the direction of the team. Jeremy Pruitt, 1-0 in bowl games now. And, mm-hmm. I mean, 8-5. and five, that's a hell of a lot better than seven and six for some reason going into the offseason, don't you feel like? Absolutely, man. I thought he prepared fantastic. I mean, obviously the offense was frustrating, but you got to remember, I, this is Cheney's thing. This is Cheney's baby. When mm-hmm. it comes to offense, it's not Pruitt. Pruitt's about that defense, which is night and day from the start of this season. And I thought he was prepared, you know, going into this game. It was just. 
Uh, I mean, how do you prepare for a quarterback that really hasn't scrambled all season long? You know what I'm saying? It's just they finally found something that worked. We took their best player out. I mean, physically, he was out. And that that, that whatever his name is, shot kid. Right. Boy, he he took some shots, man. He was, you know, banged up on the sideline. But we we shut down the offense other than, you know, Peyton doing what he did with his legs. So I thought that was fantastic coaching. That was a ballsy move with the special teams. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it was just the offense, you know, uh, it sputtered at times. But that was – that's Garantano, man. That's that's not this coordinator. That's not the play calling. That's just mm-hmm. that's our quarterback, man. Now, one of the guys I mentioned leading up to this game, Eric Gray, he led the team in rushing. He looked really good. 86 uh-huh. yards on 14 carries, added another 34 receiving. I think you got to – I don't want to say build the offense around him next season, but he's probably the breakout performer with all these receivers going. And I don't know about you, Shane, but I really think that uh, – we knew Juwan Jennings was going to miss the first half, but I think that really hurt the offense in the first half. And then I think it even hurt him in the second half because it just seemed like they were trying to force feed him early in the third quarter. Once, you know, he got into the rhythm of the offense, it was a different story. He nearly took the game over there on his own back there on the, on the wild dog package there. But it was just kind of out of sync all, all day till the fourth quarter there with Juwan Jennings having to miss the first half. But I think that was an adjustment, man. I, I think obviously it hurt us in the first half, and the second half it shouldn't have, uh, right. you know, because Indiana knew he was coming, and when he and when number fifteen was on the field, they had two guys on him at all times, which freed up Gray underneath. Which I think the biggest surprise for me was was some of these routes that Gray was running. I mean, they weren't like. I mean, we're not talking like 15-yard outs or anything like that, but he was getting open. He was catching the ball down the field, and he was always wide open because they were so focused on number 15. So I think once the adjustment came down, I think they took advantage of uh, Indiana's game plan for uh, to get Jawan Jennings out of the game. Now i got to ask you this, Shane. Tennessee started 0-2 on the season, finished 8-5 and with a – not a New Year's Day, but a – New Year's second bowl game win. The direction of Tennessee, how happy are you heading into 2020 as our uh, resident Tennessee homer here? I'm happy. Uh, I, but there's 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 one little thing here, man. <laughs> All right. I'm not happy with the quarterback situation. And, you know, I, I know, I just know number two is going to be back next year. And there were some times that he won us a game, but like I said, I think there were some times he hindered us. And I don't, you know, I don't think Garantano is a quarterback that can take you to 10 wins. I think he's a guy that can get you to a bowl game, but I don't think he can get you to 10 wins. And I don't know if, uh, you know, Harris, we don't know. True freshmen, they're, they're hit or miss. We don't know if that's going to be the answer, but is one of these backups, you know, is 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 Brian going to be a little bit healthier next year? Is he going to be a contender? I just I think we need help at that quarterback spot. We're obviously going to need some assistance in the wide receiving spot because, you know, we're we're they weren't a huge factor in this game, mm-hmm. but you know we're going to have to have some. I mean, you you've seen teams without wide receivers, man, and if they get too one dimensional, they get too predictable and I, I so I'm a little concerned with the offense but I do love the offensive line I love the running backs I love this defense so yes I am excited about the next year mm-hmm. and I think you make a good point because we see the college football playoff dominated by elite quarterbacks quarterbacks have always been the most important position in modern football but I think in today's day and age they're even more important and you simply cannot win you know, at the highest level without that elite quarterback. So that's going to be the challenge moving forward for Tennessee in the 2020 season. Maybe it's a Harrison Bailey. Maybe it's a Brian Maurer. You know, hell, I mean, for as low as Garantano's looked at times, maybe he takes that <laughs> next step. But if we've seen a guy for several years, he kind of they kind of are what they are. You know what I mean? So that's going to be the big challenge, I think, for Pruitt and company moving forward. But just a hell of a win here for Tennessee and the SEC now – 
I believe they're what are they eight and two? I think on bowl games, something like that, and only they're one. They're one and zero, oh, Mike. They are oh. one and zero, oh. <laughs> undefeated. <laughs> this is a new decade, baby. With only <laughs> the big game, there's only one left remaining. The biggest one of all. Yeah, I'm sad we only got one more to break down, but uh, we've got plenty of time to get into that one. And uh, man, I'm just I'm happy for you. Happy to get this new year off. I'm feeling good. That would have been a long ass <laughs> off season. T- Tennessee <laughs> lost twenty two to nine at a Gator Bowl, but oh man, man what a rally! Man, what about Spurrier out there trolling, man? <laughs> you know, I tell you, I was I was honestly I'm glad we won this thing because I was already thinking excuses why I couldn't get on my. <laughs> Jeez, man. Well, at least we'll all sleep good tonight, you know, except for those Hoosiers (laughs) and that long trip back to Indiana, (laughs) flat land. I got corn to pick tomorrow, you know. (laughs) All right, Shane. So congratulations on the win. (laughs) Anything else here before uh, you hop off? I think you got some reviews for us, don't you? I got some reviews. Uh Uh-oh. Listen to that Paul Feinbaum show today. (laughs) Heard the SEC mic. You killed it, buddy. Great job. Uh, But you know who really killed it, Mike? Who's that? Our fans. Absolutely. Yes, sir. They went the extra step. They jumped on an iPod. They jumped on a... I don't even know if they make iPods anymore. I don't know why I keep saying that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but uh, they jumped on these iPhones and they, they did some five-star ratings and reviews for us. And it really does help us out. And so I'd like to read a few of those off. Uh, the first one comes from the Colorado Hog. Five of uh, five stars. Best SEC podcast. Five stars. Great job on the pod, Mike and Shane. Been listening to you guys since August and haven't missed a pod yet. Recently listened to y'all's first pod for March and... You hyped up a man, Sam Pittman, so I had to give y'all a rate and review. Five of five stars for sure. I'm a huge Hogs fan living in Colorado, so I get my SEC feel from you guys and really appreciate all the work you do. I appreciate it. Thanks. Colorado Hog, I appreciate you. Yeah, we appreciate that, and you know we take pride in SEC podcasts hitting on all the teams, and I know the Razorbacks haven't been that great, obviously, but hell, that's they still deserve a place on this podcast. Absolutely. Next one comes from E. Costa. Best podcast around. Five star. That SEC podcast is the best college football show there is. I'm from the South, but go to school in the Northeast. And they just seem to not love college football the same way. I rely on this pod to keep up to date with the SEC action, as well as get through the off season and Saturday mornings in the lab. Would definitely recommend and go dogs. Well, E. Costa, I appreciate you. Yeah, that's a great one. I appreciate that. Stay in school. <laughs> Next one. True. Are you Are you going to be drinking beer and making podcasts, man? You don't want to do that. Don't, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> this shit, it's, a, it's a fantastic run. Mike graduated. I went for a few semesters. It was awesome. True Achilles, <laughs> this comes from True Achilles, awesome pod, five star, great podcast for those who are true followers of the SEC, gives a great insight to programs outside uh, the one you root for, keep up the great work guys, go big orange, well True Achilles, I appreciate you. Yeah, we appreciate all the reviews. I got one more, not so fast my friend. Oh, okay. Last one comes from First uh wait no is that back <laughs> i guess that's how you say that i'm sorry man been drink a little bit great five star awesome to some in-depth sec talk with two humble gents well is that bk i appreciate you yeah thanks man we really do appreciate each and every one of those that really like shane says that helps the pod grow that uh, helps bring it up uh, whenever you go to a podcast platform, the more reviews you get, the more likely your show is to pop up for new listeners. So that's kind of why we really, really appreciate each and every one of those. And uh, for every five-star written review, we'll send you a koozie free of charge on us. Just reach out to us either uh, on Twitter or 
at uh, on the Gmail there at that SEC podcast at gmail.com. Feel free to hit us up. And, man, Shane, I'm kind of sad. We only got one bowl game left. Of course, it's the national championship game, but we are not going away. We'll still be here in the offseason. Whenever there's news to talk about, we'd be breaking it down. But uh, I had a hell of a run this season, Shane. I had a lot of fun breaking down these games with everybody. It's pretty wild how this show has grown over the season. And, uh, man, I'm just, I just get fired up talking about college football. I know. Two years, Mike. You know? It's like that uh, that meme you say, look at us, you know? <laughs> <laughs> we did it, man. We did it. So I pre- And we couldn't have done it without you guys, and I really appreciate you. And I hope you all have a great new year. And you're right, we got one game left. Of course, uh, we got we got these little, little games floating around, too. I'm going to be watching them all, <laughs> you know, senior bowls <laughs> and things like that. But uh, one true game left, and... Uh, and I'm just, uh, it's sad, but it's its going to be a hell of a game, Mike. Absolutely, Shane. And right before we get off here, breaking news. Chad Morris is on TV. Son Chandler. He's going to make his selection of where he's going to school. Yeah. He's pulling the hat out. Oklahoma, get his ass out the SEC. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. That poor kid. You know, maybe, maybe we'll get to see him next year at Tennessee. We get to play Oklahoma, so maybe maybe he'll be uh, throwing, throwing something out there. Absolutely. I wish I wish him well. Just get his dad out of here. Yeah. yeah. Hey, hey, second chance, Mike. You know, that's what that's what the New Year's all about. Chad Moore's had a rough start in Arkansas. He's out. Sam Pittman's in. Arkansas fans are happy. So let's let Chad be happy. All right, let him be happy for his son playing in the SEC. And then, uh, who knows, maybe uh, Chad learns something down there, Gus Malzahn, and gets another opportunity, right? Absolutely. New year, new Chad Morris. I'm on board with that, buddy. All right, let's do it. All right, see you, Shane. All right, see you guys. Go Vols. You know, that's the thing. There come the dogs. <laughs> that <laughs> This is blowing my mind here because just from a bowl game here, but apparently there are rumbling, Shane, that Mississippi State may get rid of Joe Moorhead. What the hell is going on over <laughs> You okay? You may want to check your back door there, buddy, because <laughs> you may be getting robbed. <laughs> <laughs> He's in there, Jay. I, I tell you, man. I, I, how many times I got to say it? I know I'm not supposed to talk during the pod, but damn, somebody's at the back door, Mike. <laughs> Let me try that again.